This is an ABC podcast. When women are able to use contraceptives, then they are better empowered. Girls are able to stay in school. They're able to get an education. They're able to, you know, at the end of the day, get empowered to get jobs and then be able to provide for their families. And then we're able to lift the levels of our women globally and especially in the Pacific. We have lost women dying of sepsis from doing abortions themselves and not coming and getting help on time because of the stigma that attends to it. We need to uh, demystify, you know, the myths surrounding the contraceptives. You know, the concept is not thoroughly being explained. When you explain it and we get to explore their mindset and then we empower them to come forward and access the services. Being in control of your body is a basic human right. That includes your sexual and reproductive health. For women, that means having easy access to birth control. What we know is that when women have access to contraceptives, they can choose when they're going to have children and how many, and that improves their lives. But in the Pacific today, many women can't get the pill, condoms, or other contraceptive methods. What's stopping them is stigma, discrimination, lack of money, misinformation, and religious opposition. And what we're seeing in some cases in the Pacific is that this can lead to dire consequences. In the worst case scenarios, death. I'm Hilda Wayne. Sisters, let's talk about access to birth control. This year, there's been a 10% drop in contraceptive use in the Pacific. This statistic may not seem so bad, but what it means is that fewer women have been using birth control methods. Why should we care about that, though? Well, deciding when you have children and how many you have leads to a better quality of life. You have control over your education, work, finances, and most importantly, your body. And access and use of contraceptives is key to that. Alarmingly, research shows that more than two-thirds of women in the Pacific who would like to avoid or delay pregnancy are unable to do so because they can't access birth control. Dr. Titilola Duro Aina is a technical advisor on sexual reproductive health and rights at the United Nations Population Fund in Suva, Fiji. The UNFPA provides contraceptives to 14 Pacific Island countries, which are made available through public health facilities. What they are finding is that even when women have access to contraceptives, there are barriers to them using them. There are stigma, discrimination, taboos at different levels. Um, even in the, within the community, there are issues around oh, uh, contraception, could cause some certain diseases. Some people talk about cancer. And because of all that that is going around, misinformation in the community, that acts as a significant barrier to accessing it. And it even flows into the health sector, where you have health workers also carrying the same kind of mindset in actually providing the services. That's why we do a lot of capacity building right now to ensure that the health workers are properly trained to understand that 
that kind of entitlement mentality is not right. Every woman has the right to access contraception. Every girl has the right to access contraception. And that kind of barrier should not be placed before them. So these are some of the barriers that women access uh, having. And then also having to get the consent of their husbands is a very strong factor in the Pacific. In fact, for some women, they've had to do it privately such that they don't want their husbands to know. And in case some cases where the spouse has known, it's led to some violence like uh, some degree of domestic or gender-based violence against them and even against the health worker that actually gave the service. So these are very critical barriers. And then we also have in the area of policy, some of our countries, of our Pacific countries, still have policies that are not progressive enough with regards to accessing contraception, where young people are not allowed to actually access contraception. So those are some of the ways where we've been working to see policy reviews and improvements in terms of allowing access to all women, regardless of their marital status, regardless of their age, to be able to actually have this access. So these are actually some of the barriers, yes, that women are facing. How important is the use of contraceptives when it comes to family planning and uh, women's health? It's it's very critical because, you know, um, contraceptives is so important to the empowerment of women. Aside from the fact that we all know the importance of having children, number of children that you can cope with and you can manage the time, when women are able to use contraceptives, then they are better empowered. Girls are able to stay in school. They're able to get an education. They're able to, at the end of the day, get empowered to get jobs and then be able to provide for their families. And then we're able to lift the levels of our women globally and especially in the Pacific. So that is a major importance of having contraception. But aside from that, when you have too many children, the risk of maternal deaths and maternal morbidity as a result of having too many children also rises. And then you have families and children that are left behind because their mothers have either died or they're not in a state to take care of them. And what forms of birth control are available for women in the Pacific? We have several forms of birth controls, ranging from the short-acting, what we call short-acting contraceptives, to the long-acting contraceptives. So you have contraceptives that can be used either on a daily basis, these are fall under the short term, or they can be taken like bi-monthly or once a quarter. They still fall under short acting. And then you have the longer ones, longer term contraceptives, which can stay for up to three to five years. And all of these forms already we're providing through the United Nations Population Fund in the Pacific. So some of the ones we have that are short acting include, of course, you have the condoms, both male and female condoms. Then we have the pills. There are pills that can be used, taken on a daily basis. And then we have the short acting injectables. We call them injections that can be taken on a quarterly basis. Then we have the long-acting ones that are like the implants. It's getting more popular in the in the Pacific right now. Uh, we have what we call the Jadel. It stays for about five years. So that's a form of long-acting. And then we have what we call the intrauterine contraceptive device, IUCD or IUD, which can actually be placed in, in, in the woman's uh, uterus and can actually stay there for up to 10 years. These are long-acting contraception. And then we have what we call the permanent types, which are also available for women and girls, which for a woman or that believes that, oh, she's had a family or she doesn't want to have any more children, then they can look at the more permanent ones, which is called the tubal ligation, where the tubes can be tied. And that is a more permanent form 
form of contraception. So it's varied. I like to say that contraception is like a basket of fruits. So you, you, you're able to choose what type suits you. Uh, is it the daily one? Is it the ones that go um, monthly or bi-monthly or quarterly? Or is it a longer term? Depending on the needs of the girl or the woman, there are various options to choose from. Mm. And rates of birth control has fallen since 2018. With COVID, does have an impact on access to various medical supplies and treatments? Uh, what else might be causing this? COVID especially has dealt a blow to access, availability and usage of health services, and especially when it comes to birth control. In terms of even the contraceptives getting into the countries, there's been a lot of issues with shipments, delayed shipments, and then even in the countries, distributing them um, across into the countries, particularly with the terrain of the Pacific. So you can imagine it's been a lot of issues, you know, because there's been a lot of diversion. More more focus has been on getting the COVID vaccines into the countries rather than contraceptives. So that has been a major issue. And then also because of the fear of contracting the virus, a lot of the women and the girls don't want to go to the health facilities. So, Dr. Titilola, what effect does the stigma and fear among women have in terms of health outcomes? Just recently, we had a case of a maternal death in Vanuatu, a mother dying because of uh, a fear of going to the health facility to obtain uh, service. And that is very, very uh, rife. Also, a lot of the health health service providers that would provide the contraceptives have been diverted to to COVID-19 response. So that also leaves the women without access to the contraceptives. So these are the major issues. And doctor, I have the statistics here that 60% of women who would like to avoid or delay pregnancies are unable to. Uh, Why is this? Is it a cultural uh, setback, supply? What is causing this? Yeah, so what you're referring to is what we call unmet need for contraception. So you have women and girls that want to use contraception, but they're not able to. And one of the major reasons we had before in the past that accounted for that was access, having the contraception there. But a lot of that barrier has been overcome, especially with the the work we have been doing to get the contraceptions into the country. Uh, But more recently, what is accounting more for this unmet need, the reason why a lot of women are not able to access, even though they want to, have to do with a lot of uh, social and cultural uh, misconceptions and myths around the use of contraception. There's also something we call the entitlement mindset. And that flows across the Pacific, even in Papua New Guinea, we did a study recently on it. And it's that culturally, some women or girls are looked at as entitled to actually get contraception and some others are not. So if you're young or married, you are not titled, in quote, to actually uh, get contraception. But if you're married and uh, in a family and you have a spouse, then you're ex- you, you are entitled. So that entitlement mentality is also there. And it even flows to even some of the health workers, you know, thinking that, okay, if a young girl comes in and you're not married, then you're not t- entitled. And then there's also the culture of silence around family planning where or contraception where it's not discussed. You know, it's like, you know, don't talk about it. It's, uh, it's about sexual health and things that, you know, we in the Pacific, we shouldn't be talking about freely. 
Dr. Titulola, I'm a, a Catholic myself, and I, I believe religion also plays a part in that, influencing women's choices. Yes, yes you're, you're right, definitely. Religion has a strong part to play, and that's why we always implore uh, to, to, to our, our religious leaders and talk to them and engage with them on the on the importance and the need for contraception. I know that with the Catholic Church, a lot of emphasis is put more on the natural methods, but like we all know, not everyone will be able to go through with the natural method because it takes a lot of discipline and mm. self-control, which not everyone has. And so this also opens the door for uh, uh, unplanned pregnancies. So there are other options which the church needs to open up to and see so that these other options are available. My grandmother used to talk about taking herbs and some kind of, you know, medicinal bush medicine to control, to use as a birth control. Are, <laughs> are they still practiced today? Have you, what has your study found? Yes, yes, yes. We still have it in practice. We do something we call the DHS, Demographic Health Service across countries, and also uh, the multi, uh, the multiple cluster service makes service where it shows the frequency or the pro- uh, proportion of the use of these traditional methods as against the modern. Um, the modern have been found to be the most effective. Uh, you're sure of their efficacy, and you're sure that when you use them, then I mean you can actually. Prevent pregnancy, but the traditional ones have not really gone through that kind of rigorous study, and most of the time they've been found to fail. So, in, in different countries, you still find that there are still percentages of those that are still using traditional methods you just mentioned. For example, in Papua New Guinea, the, the most recent um, DHS that was conducted showed that 37% of all women would use a form of contraception. Out of that 37, we have actually uh, improved a lot because only 7% of that them actually are using the traditional as against 30% that are using the modern. So this is the same across the Pacific. Mm. And uh, with the stigma and all this uh, that you have spoken about, uh, religious beliefs and, you know, especially young women trying to get rid of, you know, uh, do abortion themselves. There's talk about um, abortion pills on black market in Papua New Guinea and young women even dying Mm. as a result of trying to do it themselves. What is your advice? Yeah, so prevention, like we know, is always far better than cure. This is an old saying that still rings very true till today. And that is where contraception comes in. Because if contraception is available and accessible to all of our young girls and women, then we can prevent unplanned pregnancies. And if we can prevent unplanned pregnancies, then we'll prevent abortions, on uh, uh, unsafe abortions from happening, which is what is killing our uh, a lot of the young people uh, and women going into the black market to try and access abortion just because the pregnancies have not been prevented in the first place. So if we can push more for getting the women and the young girls to actually access contraception, then we can prevent the abortions from taking place. And also for governments to think further about even in cases where, okay, the unplanned pregnancy has taken place and look at the legislation regarding, okay, um, should they actually have uh, abortion services? For those that, I mean, in one way or the other, they, they got pregnant uh, in, in maybe uh, on palatable circumstances. That's Dr. Titi Lola Duro Aina, a technical advisor on sexual reproductive health from the United Nations Population Fund in Fiji. Isn't it sad to know that young women and girls are going to such great lengths and risking their lives to have unsafe abortions? 
This is Sisters Let's Talk with Hilda Wayne. Someone who has witnessed this firsthand, working alongside women as an obstetrics gynecology specialist, is Dr. Frida Wemin. Dr. Wemin is based in Goroka, Papua New Guinea, which has a very low rate of contraceptive use. Only 37% of married women and 18% of unmarried women who are sexually active are using birth control. A lot of decisions for women to seek help always falls on someone else to make decisions for them. And that includes the family and the husband or partners. That's why we have low rates because majority of our population of women are uneducated. So you, that's the part that makes our statistics go low. Papua New Guinea has the highest rate of maternal death in the Pacific. And women have an average of four babies. What would you like to see when it comes to access to birth control and family planning? For us to reduce that number, we need to have supervised births and we need to increase our family planning coverage and we need to have antenatal coverage increase in all our facilities. Then we can see the decrease in the number of women dying during childbirth and after delivery. Uh, and Frida, a significant issue across the Pacific is that many women feel um, obligated or obliged to have sex with their husbands. And a family health and safety studies survey carried out recently found almost 12% of women reported their partners actively stopped them from accessing birth control. What have you seen and heard from your patients or your observations? From our end, we have involved Men during antenatal, uh, we have counseling for couples. For Goroka, we have seen women easily coming to access our family saving, uh, services in our settings. We want a good-sized family, but a um, lot of uh, women would like to equalize the number of gender of children they have, so balance. So if they're one or the other, they keep having to get the balance. Uh, male sex is prepared, so women will try to get more in order to make, make up for the one that they didn't, they didn't have. If we educate on the economic benefits of having a good size of children, then people will make informed choices of having the required number they want. And what do women you have worked with uh, and supported feel about access to birth control, including abortion? Birth controls for all, all our facilities were are very proactive in providing these services, but it depends on the individuals, even in town where they have, in the urban settings where they have access to it, like, you know, five or ten minutes walk to the facility, yet they don't come. Um, they're probably engaged doing other things for their daily living that they forget these services that will contribute to the financial needs of their family. So it's unemployment and they're trying to make up for the, you know, survival. So they forget these services. Easily accessible. Mm. You have seen so many women each, you know, with their own story coming through your clinic. What is one situation that really stands out or situations that really stand out where women has not accessed birth control successfully uh, and uh, as a worst outcome? 
Okay, so for we deliver like five, nearly six thousand a year in the hospital. Fifteen percent, fifteen to sixteen percent is teenage pregnancies, and these are the girls who need to be in school, and they are unfair and plan mostly. So the you know younger population of women are missing out on this. Those who have already gone through, they know the services are there, but those who are sexually active, they are not aware that they can get it. So they fall pregnant, they end up going, doing um, abortions, unsafe abortions. They're coming to us. We have lost women dying of sepsis from doing abortions themselves and not coming and getting help on time because of the stigma that attaches to it. Mm. Uh, and do you have uh, statistics or uh, any figures on how many young women and girls die as a result of trying to abort, uh, self-abort? Right now, I don't, I don't have it, but uh, last year we had three who have died from uh, doing self-termination. We have women dying from sepsis from doing um, termination. So the number of women dying uh, in a hospital, uh, 50%, more than 50% is cervical cancer. And then uh, the second to it is sepsis. And sepsis is usually the ones who deliver in the village, or they do abortions, and they come very sick. Wow. With the worst outcomes, have there been some positives in uh, the community or people you've worked with trying to encourage this free access to this service that's available? A majority of our health workers, they are community health workers. And community health workers, the category, in, in all, that's the lowest in the health um, sector, the um, the profession, so they only give medicine. They are the ones who are facing the bulk of the population. So for our province now, I'm doing these upskilling programs for the community health workers, uh, especially upskilling them with the uh, obstetric emergencies, family planning, and all all the things that they need to do to address and refer patients as soon as possible. We have seen some improvements, have been uh, done three trainings already. That includes all the other districts. So we've seen some improvements. So we are increasing our referral system. It's increased. Women are coming, are referred uh, on a timely basis with complications. So we're able to assist them. So that's an ongoing program, and we will continue to do that this year and next year as well to address this issue of um, high maternal mortality and uh, perinatal deaths. That's the way forward for us. That's how we see. Wow. Women in Goroka today are lucky to have someone like Dr. Frida Wemin, who through her work as a gynecology and obstetrics specialist, has taken it upon herself to upskill health professionals to give women the health services they need. You're listening to Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia. In other Pacific Island countries like Tonga, things are a little brighter. While there's still work to be done, the Tonga Family Health Association has strong government support and has been delivering education programs at the grassroots. One woman who has witnessed this success is Catherine Murphy who is Program Manager for the Tonga Family Health Association. 
Tonga has been described as leading the region when it comes to sexual and reproductive health. We managed to develop national sexual reproductive health policy for Tonga. The hesitance is still out there. Like myth pasta is still a part of my program that I working with the Tongan community, especially faith-based organization and church, uh, church in general. But personally, I think this mindset have changed, slightly changes over time. For example, we have the desk of church for leaders within the Ministry of Internal Affairs, which I work closely with them. And slowly over the years, this changes in mindset. And the good thing about this referral pathway is like, if they're not going to handle it, and it's it's good to refer. This referral pathway is slowly working within the community, especially with Christianity uh, doctrine. But for me, I've never come across it with an open challenge from them going against family planning. We need to uh, demystify, you know, the myths surrounding the contraceptives. You know, the concept is not thoroughly being explained. When you explain it and we get to explore their mindset and then we empower them to come forward and access the services. So that's the strategy that I'm currently using for these, uh, to, to challenge the, the community in terms of uh, accessing family planning methods. What are the main barriers to people accessing contraception or safe abortion? Uh, abortion is still a no-no. Legislative-wise, we haven't had much funding to um, advocating for abortion. It's still unknown. But uh, working around ratifying CEDAW, it's still not yet uh, ratified. But uh, we work for it. How we address them in such a conservative context is we promote ECP, emergency contraceptive bills, instead. At the same time, advocating for safer portion. It can also look from a perspective of skills, birth attendance. And uh, you would have seen many girls and women come through your clinic. Uh, can you describe a case that resulted in a really positive outcome? In our services, like really drive our programs in terms of uh, planning and education-wise. So uh, I would describe like having a 13-year-old coming in, and I'm also a strong advocate on second-chance education. It's provided by Tonga Institute of Higher Education. It's called Akotu Uloa. These are for second-chance education for young girls or become teenage mother. We walk her through, go through the antenatal, deliver, and like putting her through back to education and supporting the family. There's a scholarship available for these vulnerable young people. And also now she's pursuing a diploma in education at the moment. That's so we have that's not lovely. just one. We have, yeah, not just one. We have a lot of successful uh, cases. And uh, Catherine, what are some outcomes that were unfortunate that you have witnessed or uh, case studies that came across your, your uh, the Tonga Family Health Association? This is only uh, an experience from a small setting like Tonga. It's a small uh, population. My little experience is like these young people who have dropped out of school, who have come across experiencing STIs, teenage mother. It's kind of like repeated behavior. Their parents are also our GPV clients. They've been referred to safe houses and all. It's, this is kind of like a poverty cycle that we need to break into by, you know, have more program around uh, behavior change communication, because there are, you know, these are tip of the iceberg that we are looking at, but what are the social determinants of health underneath that need to be really addressed? That's Catherine Murphy, 
who is program manager for the Tonga Family Health Association. While it's promising that birth control is available to many women in the Pacific, it is concerning that there are still so many barriers to accessing it, particularly stigma. I really hope that by listening today, you know that you have the right to control your body and you have that right to birth control and family planning. It means you have a far better quality of life, education, financial independence, fewer unwanted babies, and less financial stress. And prevention is so much better than cure. It is so distressing to hear of the worst outcome, women who die from complications after an abortion. As you've heard from Dr. Titilola, Dr. Frida Wayman, and Catherine Murphy, there is support available. We need to get past the stigma first. And this is something you can start today. So let's start talking about it especially with the young girls and women in our lives. Thank you so much for joining me. Hilda Wayne for Sisters Let's Talk on ABC Radio Australia, a weekly show by Pacific Islands Women for Pacific Islands Women, where we get together to talk about the issues that are important to us. If you've missed an episode of the show, catch up on our podcast. In the Pacific, just search for Sisters Let's Talk wherever you get your podcasts. If you're in Australia, you can listen to Sisters Let's Talk on the ABC Listen app. If you've got a topic you'd like me to cover on the show or any feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Send me a message anytime at the ABC Radio Australia Facebook page or email sisters at abc.net.au. That is S-I-S-T-A-S at abc.net.au. Next time on Sisters Let's Talk, our focus turns to the Kingdom of Tonga, where the Unga Tonga Unga Apai eruption highlighted the vulnerabilities of women and girls in the wake of a natural disaster. When the tsunami hit their, their, their island of Namuka, that um, she has never seen her, her daughter show so much fear in her life. That's next time on Sisters Let's Talk. Sisters Let's Talk is presented by me, Hilda Wayne. It's produced by Melissa Macon. Our supervising producer is Inge Stunzner. Executive producer is Justin Kelly. And our commissioning editor is Ilaria Walker. Sisters Let's Talk is an ABC Radio Australia production. I'm Tasol Nabungimu next time.